you're listening to Goodness Gracious Grief. I'm Katie Brain, and today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about child bereavement. My guest is the wonderful lady, Odette Mould, who started Harry's Rainbow. Now, Odette and her family lost their son Harry in 2009, aged just five and a half years old, leaving behind his twin sister, Jessica. Now, Odette and her family went on to start up Harry's Rainbow and the work they've been doing is to provide bereaved children with the support that they need. And I must say that Odette has been recognised quite a few times and she actually received an MBE for her services to bereaved children. I'll let Odette tell you all about Harry and how this all started but she's also now doing her own podcast called For the Love of Grief. So if you are looking to listen to more conversations around bereavement, particularly child bereavement, then that is the place that you need to go. Listen as I have a chat to Odette. Can you tell me what your reaction was when you found out that you were having twins? Yeah, um, it, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of shock, but a nice shock. So because um, I previously had miscarriages, and so um, when I went to the hospital this time, I was feeling really nervous, um, thinking that the worst um, because I've been getting a few tummy pains, etc. So I knew I was pregnant, but obviously didn't know, didn't even imagine I was having twins, even though there are twins in the family. Um, you know, my auntie has twins, but you know, I didn't even consider it. So when the, w- I had to have the early scan and they checked everything over, um, they sort of like you know when you watch on films and programs, like they take a little bit longer sort of to tell you something. They were like, oh, um, just need to just you know go and get someone else, and they were like, yeah, yeah, there they both are. And I was like, what? Pardon? Oh <laughs> you know God. what are you talking about? <laughs> sort of thing but uh, yeah laughing and crying all at the same time basically um yeah so it, it was lovely and I remember going back into work I worked at uh, Abbey at the time Abbey National now Santander and uh, I remember walking into the call centre that we worked in and uh, and yeah just sort of like going around showing everybody my little my little scan picture of two little babies I was like there's two there there's two um so yeah it was uh, yeah pretty much uh a shock, but a nice shock. And you obviously went on to have Harry and Jessica, but what what was their bond like in those early years? Um, yeah, lovely, really, to be honest. I mean, very rarely did we do anything, did they do anything separately? Because obviously it wouldn't really make sense to. I was, always, I was always concerned about their identity. Being a girl and a boy, I think, sort of solved some of that for me because in my head I just didn't want them to and and the fact that they weren't identical kind of helped me think okay they will have their own identities now I was just thinking I don't don't want them to be one to be I don't know sort of um I can't really describe what I mean really but I wanted them to have their own identities whatever that whatever that would be and not feel like they had to be in each of the pockets but obviously that was me thinking very very far very far ahead um but yeah no they were they were really close Uh, don't get me wrong they had their, even though they were young, um, obviously when they were separated, they were five when Harry died, they um, 
they they did fight as well, you know. Of course, like it's only natural. <laughs> yeah, and 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 actually, Harry was the um, the confident and outgoing one to probably sort of everyone else. But sort of we knew within the family home that actually Jessica was the one that kind of ruled the roost. You know, so if like he did something, she'd be chasing him around the house to get him back and stuff. You know, whereas to the outside world, people thought that Jessica was a bit quieter and more reserved and shy. So it's okay. quite interesting. They had quite an interesting relationship. Yeah. Tell me more about Harry, though. What was his his individual personality like? What did he like doing? He was um, well. <laughs> that that makes me think of a, a story um, of one Christmas. You know, the typical girl boy gender stereotyping Jessica had a adult house and uh, Harry had a great big train set which we still have now um, and uh, what happened he went straight to the doll's house <laughs> um, so but yeah he he liked to um, embrace sort of Jessica's you know Jessica's uh, sort of things that she did as well as things that you might think a typical boy would do so i.e. you know he wouldn't think anything of dress. You know, we had lots of dressing up clothes and he would love dressing up in any of the clothes, whether they were there, you know, regardless of gender identity. Uh, you know, so the funny pictures we've got of him in a dress. He was very um, sociable, very fast moving, um, always talking, always got something to say. Um, very sensitive um, and loving as well. Um so obviously I'm going to sit here and I'm going to paint what looks like a really lovely picture. Don't get me wrong. He was obviously naughty at times, but he was, you know, we didn't, we only got to, to have five years with him. So, and you know, people have always have lots of lovely things to say about their children. Lead them to five. We forget about the bits where we didn't get any sleep in the early days and when they're teething and all of that. But uh, other than that, he was, he was like a little bundle of uh, excitement really. Yeah, very, very clever as well. You know, when he when he went to school, even before he went to school, before he went to nursery, they would always say, the teachers and the nursery teachers, said that they were quite astounded by how, um, how sort of knowledgeable he was or how intuitive he was um, uh, to the extent where, and I don't even know this, if this is a thing anymore, but they, they would, they, I didn't even realise it was a thing until I was told that they put him on the talented and gifted list, which is, which was, is, not even sure if it exists, but I say, um, when they feel that a child is, well, I don't know, um, smart, clever, or, or special, talented and gifted in some way, they go on this talented and gifted list, and they put Harry on that when he was in nursery. Yeah, so he said he had a he had a big understanding. I remember the conversation. He had a big understanding of the of the outside world more than they would imagine a child of of his age should typically be have. If that makes sense. I'm I'm thinking back a good sort of you know fifteen, fourteen, fifteen years now of the conversation. But uh, talking about it and your questions you're asking me, you just reminded me of that. And now I'm sitting here thinking. I wonder if I've actually said anything about it before or it's now making me think I wonder if there was ever a certificate for it. I can't even remember. But, yeah, I just remember that being something quite prominent. So it just kind of reflected sort of the type of child he was. Lots of people said 
he was an old soul and like he'd been here before. Love that, that was what a lot yeah. of people said about him. So what happened when Harry was five? So um, in the September of 2008, we'd literally just come back from holiday and he had a bit of a cold and he was coughing a lot. And this had happened occasionally, but nothing too much. Eventually, I took him to the doctors and they diagnosed him with asthma then. And so we were treating the asthma and um, it seemed to be really relatively under control. He tended to get the sort of be affected by it through when he's got a virus, had a virus, i.e. cold. Um, so the following March, which is March 2009, um, he was five and a half, um, he developed a, a cough again, and we were controlling it with um, his meds. But this time, it, it didn't seem to be getting any better, and the school was saying he was, he was coughing a lot and he seemed to be really poorly. But I took him to the doctors, and the doctors said, no, he's, he's fine, just carry on treating him as he is, and it's just a, a virus, a cold, and... Hopefully he'll get over it like like he usually does. Um, so I felt like I'd done everything I, I could, um, even though I wasn't really happy with, you know, the fact he wasn't very well. Um, and there was one evening I um, I wondered whether I should go or not, um, but Grandad was looking after Harry and Jess. And so me and my husband went to Milton Keynes College because I'd been talking about wanting to train to do something that supports children and helps children. So I'd chosen I wanted to be a teacher. Because I'd never been to university, I needed to start from scratch. And so I was at Milton Keynes College finding out about a, a, an access to teaching course. But whilst we were there, we had a phone call from Grandad to say, Harry's really, I'm really concerned. All, all of a sudden, he's, he's breathing, seems really laboured, and he's just, he's not well, and I'd like you to come home. So we left the college then, came home, was literally only five minutes away, and I said, no, I'm just not happy with this now. Although I've been to the doctors, although I feel like I've done what I can, he's not improving. So I think I need to go to the hospital. So I took him to A&E. And uh, they said, yeah, he was suffering quite badly um, with his asthma as a result of the virus. And they put him on and something I'd never seen before, but know what it is now, is it a nebulizer? So basically, like ingesting subutamol pump, the blue typical pump that everyone knows about with asthma. But it's a nebulizer, so it comes through with oxygen and it goes over the nose like an oxygen mask over the nose and mouth and it basically sort of, um, you can inhale the salbutamol directly through this system, which supposed to get to your lungs quicker and easier. Um, so he had his nebulizer, um, I think he was having it every half an hour. Um, and he was making improvements, but not enough for them to want him to go home. So he was admitted into hospital. So we were we were there. This was was be the first time Jessica and Harry were separated um, in this way. I mean, obviously at birth, I say obviously we, it's not obvious. You don't know, but they they were six weeks premature when they were born. So at birth, they both went into neonatal units. So of course, they weren't immediately directly together. Um, at that time but this time they weren't even in the hospital together if that makes sense you know Jess was at home and, and Harry was was in hospital I was with him um, and um, you know every few hours he was having his nebulizer overnight and started to really seem to turn a corner the next day not to the extent that I was 100% happy 
um, but he seemed okay. We were on a ward with other children who were suffering from a similar thing. And I was noticing with the children, they were getting cannulas fitted and um, other types of treatment, seeing nurses a bit more often. And I was sitting there thinking, I don't know, I feel like, you know, Harry's not really getting the treatment he should be getting. And so I had that conversation. The consultant actually was going to take him off his nebulizers completely. No, tell a lie, he did take him off his nebulizer completely and put him back onto an asthma pump, but said we'll stay at the hospital to see if he could control it that way. And this really did not suit Harry at all. By late afternoon, he was deteriorating again and getting, getting quite poorly again. Still, there was no intervention. He still hadn't had an, an X-ray at this point. Um, or been given a cannula. So what the cannula does is, is it um, allows the salbutamol and the medication to go straight into the bloodstream, which is that one step further from nebulizer. Um, so none of that was happening. I was wondering why not, but assuming that these are the children on the ward were, were much poorer than, than Harry, even though to me they didn't present that way. Um, but I, I think I just kept ignoring or my woman's instinct, my mum's instinct over that of the medical professionals within the hospital. Um, and to this day, I, I regret that that's what I did because, you know, maybe had I been a bit sort of firmer, a bit stronger, um, you know, and not questioning myself, maybe the outcome may may have been different um so so anyway it got to very late on and they actually they decided that harry was was more poorly and all of a sudden they will do an x-ray and they will fit a cannula and they will take him into a different room and all at once as, as jessica came to visit harry in hospital with his nan and dad um we were being pulled from pillar to post. Oh, we've got to go into this room to do this. We've got to go here to do this. The x-ray machine actually came and visited the actual ward because they really wanted to do an x-ray by this point. And everything then seemed really urgent. Whilst all this was taking place, though, um, Harry was at, and whilst Harry was having his cannula fitted, he really didn't respond very well at all. Um, he wasn't very lucid. Um and, and certain things I noticed now that I say now weren't necessarily prominent at the time, but things that were just collecting up in my thoughts, i.e. the oxygen mask was massive on his face. Um, the fact that we were taken to one place, then another place, but um, not with anything that was enabling him to breathe while we were going from A to B, if that makes sense. Um, so after he came out of the room, he was really floppy, um, and then um, I started carrying him to his bed and he soiled himself and I was turning around and looking and saying what do I do he soiled himself and so I went straight to the toilet which I hugely regret now because I don't know why I took him to the toilet when he was like that but I just didn't know what to do and I felt like no one was guiding me um, and when I did take him back to the bed I said to Lee which is how he's bad uh, I said, you need to take Jessica home. She's probably seen enough now. Um, we need to sort of be here for Harry, so come straight back. And um, throughout that time, that was really the last time that we saw Harry not attached to machines. 
basically, because after about 20 minutes, so they they called the they pressed the buzzer to get all, and all of a sudden all these doctors started heading to bed, um, and they watched him for sort of say 20 minutes or so, and then they said we're going my husband come back and then they said I think we're going to have to put him on life support because he can't support his own breathing. Um, so we were taken down to theatres where they did all of this. We were able to be with him afterwards. Um, and eventually they came and said, we need to transport him to a different hospital. And um, so then another few hours passed of pacing, pacing hallways and not knowing what to do. Um, and they said, right, we found a bed at Leicester and uh, we're going to take him. But you can't come in the ambulance and you can't follow the ambulance. You just have to meet us there. And so, yeah, um, he was at Leicester for a couple of two days. Over that time, we sort of told him everything that happened at, at Milton Keynes. But um, over those two days, they were treating his, his collapsed lung. He had a collapsed lung at this point. Um, but after two days, they grew concerned, said his, his pupils weren't responding. And on the morning that Jessica was um, coming to visit him from Milton Keynes, she was travelling up with her grandparents. We were given the devastating news that Harry wasn't going to survive, um, that his brainstem had been damaged irreparably. Um, and he's basically going to die when they took the life support off. And so as Jessica arrived at the hospital, we were already planning... With, with the um, nurses and the team at Leicester, who were great, how how we tell her that? How we tell her that her brother has gone into hospital and um, he's not going to come back out? Harry's life support was switched off on the 31st of March 2009. And yeah. you, you, this is obviously how Harry's rainbow was born. Can you... Tell me, obviously, how you had the strength and why you wanted, you know, Harry's Rainbow to exist. So I would say over a period of about a year following Harry's death, we sort of experienced certain levels of of support or difficulty um, in accessing support. And it basically, from, from, from the start, I needed to try and find what support there was for Jessica. That's what I was thinking. It's like, what, what's this... This has devastated our lives, but I can't let it be the picture for Jessica for the rest of her life. She's five. And so, you know, I was looking for support. Where was support? What do we do? Unless you're in this situation, it's not something you ever think about. And so I do always try to, to raise the awareness of that now, to try and be proactive and react, you know, rather than reactive. But at the time, yeah, over a period of a year, just certain different things were happening and I just thought this just can't this just can't be right and um, how is it that we need to travel all that way to access support what if somebody you know what if we didn't drive what if we weren't strong enough to 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 put ourselves through that traveling to get to get Jessica to support and realizing that you know at the time, I was like, okay, so I need to check that someone, I need someone to check she's okay. So 
you know, getting counselling involved and getting people to, to visit her to see if she was and thinking that was the, the magic button, you know, the magic pill or whatever. And in just different experiences over the, over that period of a year started making me say, I, I think there needs to be something for children like sort of like what I had for parents. So there was a group very newly set up as well, following Harry's death coincidentally with some other parents and nurses. Um, a group was put together for bereaved parents and that group, I found a lot of comfort from that group, just going to the group, having a cup of tea, meeting other people, hearing stories, sharing my story. All of that sort of led me to say, why don't we do this for children? Why isn't this something that we do? You know, why, why can't I put something together that not only allows children to come together, but initially the charity was set up as a sort of provider hub of information. This is where you get your resources. This is where we signpost, you know, all, all this information. I wanted to be able to put it all together to sh so that another family going through that would have like this place to go this, on this website to, to sort of help them, to start helping them to know what they can do um, to, to access support and, and to support their children. How is um, Jessica today? Does, does she remember Harry still? She, she struggles to know whether what she remembers are memories that people have given to her or whether they're her actual memories herself. Um, there's a couple of little things that sort of very little things that she remembers, but, but predominantly, I wouldn't. She doesn't. She says that she doesn't really remember a lot um, about her and Harry and them both. She feels it, but she doesn't remember it. If that makes sense. And as a mum, as a, a a wife, during this time where you're experiencing this huge loss, did, did you have any time yourself to process your grief or was it more looking out for, for Jessica, looking out for your, your husband? Were you kind of on this automatic train, should we say, of just helping everyone else? Yeah, <laughs> which I can say that now. I mean, if you asked me that five years mm -hmm. ago, I might not have been in the place to sort of say, yeah, because it did take a long, a lot of time for me to recognise that. And that's one of the reasons actually why I um, sort of, one of the reasons why I'm no longer the family liaison officer within Harry's Rainbow. So for nine years, I supported the family directly um, till it got to the point where I said, I think actually it's better for me and better for the charity if we get somebody else to do this part um, who can remain, you know, put their dedication to supporting the children and families and I'll focus on running the whole charity. Um, and, um, you know, I'd say recognising my needs and um, perhaps wasn't something I did in the very early stages, something I do talk about in my podcast, actually, because it's really, really important that we do try to to look after ourselves. Um, and I think, yeah, for a long time, I was I was too, trying, too busy trying to look after everyone else. And I think that was a grief response, absolutely. It was a response as a sort of person I am anyway, but it's, I do think it's a grief response as well. Wanting to do things to, to make sure everybody else is all right. And do you like talking about Harry? Obviously, I know it, it's, it's difficult, but do you enjoy kind of reliving those memories? 
I I don't enjoy reliving what happened. Um, that's not ever anything I'm probably going to ever get comfortable talking about because it's really difficult. But I do enjoy talking about Harry. I do enjoy... I like being able to talk about him in the sense of the legacy that he has, the legacy we've created for him. You know, the fact that the charity is called Harry's Rainbow and it's sort of going from strength to strength and that's that's Harry. You know, that's... He's put the type of person Harry is in, into this charity that is his legacy. Um, yeah, and I, I do love talking about him. Um, you know, and we, do, we do talk about him quite a lot. And you chose to do something really special. You actually donated some of Harry's organs, didn't you? And who did they go to help? Yeah. So um, there were only certain organs we were comfortable with donating, but they still went on to supporting and helping three other people. I'll say people, because believe it or not, one of his organs went to um, a 60-year-old year old man. Wow. I think that was the liver or the kidney. can't remember which. I think it was the liver. And then a kidney went to a teenage boy and his intestines, this is a sad story, um, Harry's intestines went to um, a toddler who was born with his intestines outside of himself and had never been out of intensive care. Following Harry's, receiving Harry's intestines, he was able to come out of intensive care. Very, very sadly, we later learned that he, his life um, did end um, and so it didn't give him the longevity that we'd hoped that Harry's organs would have given him but it certainly did with the feedback we had from the families it certainly did give this child extended a little bit more life and um, you know enabled him to come out of intensive care Absolutely, it gave the family some time for sure Yeah, it definitely gives the family some time, yeah and you've mentioned briefly your, your podcast. Can you just tell me a bit about that and, and what you're hoping to achieve? Yeah, so one of the things I feel really, really strongly about is raising the awareness of child bereavement and the things that people can do to help support their children through grief, but also people around them, how people around them can help support um anyone who is grieving. So the podcast um, has 11 episodes. We're halfway through at the moment um, that really draw on the experience of mine of the 13 years since Harry died and my co-host Sophia of the 20 plus years experience that she's had being a bereaved child because she was bereaved as a young person um, of her mum. And we talk about our experiences and, and, and give um, our support, our advice, our help, um, information about resources, what we've learned in our, you know, 30 collective years of experience. She's also a child therapist as well. Um, and so collectively, we can give lots of information, help and support and advice and experience through a number of topics to help support as I say, bereaved children, but even the, the bereaved community and the community around them who want to know how they can support the bereaved community. So I feel really passionate about it. Um, and um, we've had some really lovely feedback so far, which I'm really pleased about. 
I absolutely love the work that you're you're doing. If people want to find your podcast, where can they go? They go to www.harrysrainbow forward slash podcast and they should find the podcast. Um, or if that doesn't find the podcast, it is you can you can get to the podcast from the homepage of the Harris Rainbow website, which is as I say, www.harrysrainbow.co.uk and people can contact me um, on my email if they want to, which is odette at harrysrainbow.co.uk. Adette Mould there, founder of Harry's Rainbow and MBE for her services to bereaved children. If you want to find out more, you can visit harrysrainbow.co.uk. And also Adette's podcast is for the love of grief. Do check that out too. And I just want to tell you about a little project that I've been working on on the side. It's called SELF, SELF UK, and that stands for Supporting Every Life Forward. I'm very passionate, obviously, about talking about grief and breaking taboos around dying and and death and trying to get people just letting their loved ones know what they want when they pass away. That's a huge passion of mine after losing my father. But I'm also passionate about mental health for my own personal reasons and family that are close to me. But I've been working on a documentary with a close friend as well who has agoraphobia. And we've been getting her back on stage to perform. I'm not sure when that documentary or where that documentary is going to be released yet. But I would certainly let you know when. But me and my friend Catherine, we have put together self And we're creating a UK map of mental health services with the idea being that anyone who is suffering with mental health can go there and immediately find the support hubs and groups and everything closest to them. Because what I've learned, having people close to me who do suffer with mental health problems is that some days just getting out of bed is hard. You don't have the energy, the willpower, the brain power to go on and trail through website after website just trying to find help. You need it there at the click of a button. And so that's why I was so passionate about putting this together. And I'm really excited about how far it can go and just helping as many people as possible. So please do find us on social medias. Like I said, it's Self UK. And on there, we'll be providing monthly speakers, hopefully once we get things up and running. And as well, that UK map is coming very, very soon. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Katie Brain. This has been Goodness Gracious Grief. <laughs> <laughs>